everyone the January 9th meeting of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission is now called to order. Can we have the roll call, please? President Paulson? Here. Vice President Rivera? Here. Commissioner Maxwell? Here. Commissioner Jami? Here. Commissioner Stacy? Here. And we have a quorum. The San Francisco Utilities, Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the unceded lands located within the ethno-historic territory of the Molecla Ohlone tribe and other familiar descendants of the historic, federally recognized Mission San Jose Verona Band of Alameda County. The SFPUC also recognizes that every citizen residing in the Greater Bay Area has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Molecla Ohlone's tribe's aboriginal lands since before and after the San Francisco Public Utilities founding in 1932. It is vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal lands on which we reside, but also we acknowledge and honor the fact that the Molecla Ohlone people have established a working partnership with the SFPUC and are productive and flourishing members of the many greater San Francisco Bay Area communities today. So, Madam Secretary, can you call the first item, please? Item number three is approval of the minutes of December 12, 2023. So, are there any questions or addendums uh, to the, min to the uh, minutes? Seeing none, let us open the, uh, this item three to the uh, general public. Madam Secretary. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number three, the approval of the minutes? Seeing none. Okay, seeing none, um, can I uh, request a motion and second to approve the minutes of December 12th? Move to approve. Second. There's a, move, there's a motion and a second. Can we have roll call, please? President Paulson? Aye. Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Jami? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Okay, item four is general public comment. Madam Secretary? Uh, general public comment is, do we have any members of the public present to provide to address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda? The commissioners, uh, I want to address a very important issue in our community and that's uh, jobs. And the way we have to look at it now is because there's so much coming down the pipeline on Third Street is skills for our young people, men and women who are dying. And uh, we had an opportunity to invest in our young people from the year 2016, and we failed miserably. Y'all may not know this, but uh, the contracting center was my vision to focus on young people. But then something got changed, and all that the contracting center did for a long time was allow contractors to come to look at the projects. And many of the contractors thought that the 
contracting center was at Hunter's Point and a dangerous place to go to and did not visit it when you all know that it's at 150 Executive Park, which is more or less a gated place. So now we have to make up. And we cannot make up unless we have a needs assessment. And in order to do the needs assessment, you have to consult the community. Don't ever do things without consulting the community. Like last time, there was some agenda item about 1550 Evans and you left the community out. The Bayview community is hurting, and the time to be holistic is now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Are there any other speakers? Hello, commissioners. My name is Utuma Belfry, and I'm here. I'm a skilled, trained electrician. I've been, I got into the union in 1999. Um, before City Build was City Build, um, I went through City College kind of City Build program. And I'm here because I'm not working. And I'm having a problem with um, going to work and working alongside. I don't have a problem with working alongside anyone, but it's difficult to be a San Francisco native and resident and people are retained longer than you are um, when I've been qualified and certified. So um, I would like for you guys to, as you continue to put out bids and proposals and have, um, what do you call that, Count, get consultants and things like that, community-based organizations or whatever, I think addressing the issue of having skilled and trained workers who are actually here in San Francisco, there's a huge gap even within the public sector where you guys, it's difficult for you guys to get skilled and trained workers. I don't understand why, because I've been going through both processes. Um, there's something that's being missed on these projects um, after going through COVID. And now that all um, city workers are mandatory disaster, um, I can't remember, it's like a disaster worker. They're, it's mandatory that they become disaster workers. But if there isn't a, a disaster, how many people are going to travel from Novato, Fairfield, um, things like that? I think it's really important to address the issue of why San Francisco residents aren't getting skills to retain long-term employment or your city Great. Thank you. Are there any more speakers for public comment? Please come to the microphone. Uh, good afternoon, board members. Uh, my name is Aron A. Sterling, uh, owner of Sterling Builders, doing business at Sterling Framers. Um, so I want to say this. As human beings, we all have a deep desire for truth, whether it's in our personal relationships, our, per our professional lives, or in our spiritual journeys, we long for authenticity and honesty. Yet in a world that is often filled with deception and half-truths, it can be difficult to discern what is truly real and what is not. When we come before the Most High and ask Him to reveal the truth to us and to be truthful, we are opening ourselves up to a deeper level of understanding and clarity. So you have to ask yourselves, and I have to ask you as well, are you truly doing what needs to be done in order to make sure micro LBE contractors such as myself and others and micro real estate developers are being included in these SFPUC projects? Just something to think about. 
Um, I've been in business for three years, and from my experience, it's been a struggle. You know, um, I'm looking, I came into business to provide opportunities, and there's numerous opportunities out here just in SFPUC alone. So I want to be that person to give back. I want to be that company to give back to my community, give back to my youth. You know, I have nephews that looking to be carpenters. There's a lot of biosolid projects going on right now. It's a big biosolid project that's going on right now that everybody, not just me, myself, but everybody can be a part of. And we just want that fair opportunity. We're qualified, we're certified. We jumped through all the hoops that was necessary. So we just want that fair opportunity to put our community back to work. That's all I have, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Uh, my name is Dennis Williams of D5, uh, community leader, um, sub-chair of the Fillmore Merchants Collaborative. I'm also a real estate developer, and as Mr. Rondé and others have uh, painfully stated, stated, that we are having a hard time in our own city finding work. Um, as you know, real estate developers, most of the times you guys are using CDCs, which are nonprofits, which unfortunately are not reaching back to the local levels. And, um, hiring private companies such as myself and others. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we would uh, ask you guys to, we would appeal to you guys to, um, when you guys are making these contracts and passing things out that you don't forget about the black community, which statistics state that we are the lowest to receive contracts, especially in our own community. We should be allowed to build. Um, the youth are suffering. Um, the people are suffering. Let us be motivational uh, and let us be motivating um, entities in our community as we employ as we help bring crime down. It's a lot of wins in this situation to hire African-Americans in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. Are there more speakers for public comment? Seeing none, um, thank you. Um, so let's read item number five, which is the report of the general manager. Mr. Flynn. Oh, my mic is on. Um, the first up, we're going to have a contract performance. Um, oh, no, we're going to have the Wastewater Enterprise Capital Improvement Report, um, um, including the Southeast Area Major Projects Update, including Biosolids and Headworks, and Bessie Tam is going to give that report. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Commissioner. Um, I'm Bessie Tam, Director of the Wastewater Pro Capital Programs. Today, I'm going to be presenting the quarterly report for the Wastewater Capital Programs for Q1 of fiscal year 23-24, which covers the period of July 1st through September 30th of 2023. Um, at the beginning of the fiscal year of 23-24, the city adopted the 24-33 10-year CIP capital program, which is now used as the basis for the project budget and schedules that um, you're going to see in this report. So here is the um, summary table that shows that budget and the completion forecast that was adopted by this commission on February 14, 2024. 
So for the three programs, SSIP phase one, other SSIP, and facility and infrastructure, uh, we have a total of, you can see, 120 projects. The approved budget is as shown with the completion of um, 2037. So similar to past presentations, we like to start with construction updates. So these are some of the projects we want to highlight for you that are anticipating completion in calendar year 2024. On the left is the Wawona Area Stormwater Improvement Project. Um, you can see here that this is a photo showing the contractors paving Rowona Street between 14th Avenue and Vicente. Most of the sewer work for this project has been completed, um, and we are already you know, receiving benefits from the increase in the hydraulic capacity that was provided by this project. Now, in the middle picture um, is showing uh, the uh, contractors installing a pneumatic actuator that will be operating a new butterfly valve in one of the clarifying tanks um, at the Oceanside plant. This is, as you can see, building 042, um, the primary clarifying improvement, improvement project. The, contra the contractor will continue to replace uh, various mechanical and electrical equipment in the clarifier tanks number one through five at this treatment plant. And finally, uh, on the right side is a photo of the Southeast Plant Power Feed and Primary Switchgear Project. So this quarter, the con contractor continues to install various substations for this electrical project, um, including INC and structural system improvements. Uh, this picture is building 032. You can see this beautiful new um, uh, building that has been put up. Um, and this building will house the new 12 kV switchgear. So for redundancy purposes, this switchgear will uh, be obtaining electrical feed from two different utility providers, our own power enterprise, as well as PG&E. So this slide uh, highlights the progress that is in the SSIP phase one program between last quarter and this quarter. On the left is the last quarter, June 23, and the right is September. The number of projects remain at 70. Um, during this quarter, one project moved from construction to closeout, and three projects moved from closeout to completion. So overall, the percent complete uh, increased from 59 to 0.7 to 64.8% a little over a 5% uh, increase overall in this uh, SSIP phase one program. Um, this is a uh, copy of basically table three from the quarterly report. It shows a summary of the cost for both SSIP phase one and other SSIP. So the column summarizes expenditures to date, current approved budget, current forecast cost, and cost variance between the budget and forecast. Um, so you can see here, because this is Q1, which reflects the um, budget that was just adopted in 2023, there is you know, minimal to no variance in the overall program. And the same table for facility and infrastructure subprogram.
We all, always like to also show you some of the capital program milestones that we've achieved. So in this quarter, you can see here about 10 projects achieved um, various milestones in the program from 35% design to 95% design as listed here. Um, we also want to highlight some photos on the right side. Um, these are the images of the new Treasure Island Water Resource Recovery Facility Project. The image on the top is the project team at the construction kickoff celebration on the island. And the bottom photo, we cheated a little bit, is a November 2023 photo um, showing the construction progress since the kickoff celebration. And um, as usual, we want to uh, show you the major projects. This is the uh, Southeast Plant Biosolids Digester Facilities uh, project. You can see the uh, construction statuses that are listed here. Um, you know, construction, construction work continuing to progress. We are very proud of the five digester tank that's, um, you can see is, you can see above the sky, we will say is now above the ground and um, well into the skyline. Um, and then the mechanical electrical plumbing installation in the lower and upper basement of the digester facility has also begun with you know, the various mat slabs and lower basement work continues. The uh, construction is at about 45% completion. We are going to be peaking the construction for this contract in summer 2024. And um, as of this report, all the major trade packages have been procured and buyout of the major facilities are completed. Um, I do want to um, give you a foreshadow that we are, um, you know, due to market conditions and um, also various procurement um, issues that, you know, we've been experiencing lingering from COVID and other reasons. Um, we are going to be forecasting an increase in budget um, upcoming for this project. And you'll hear more about it in the future um, budget meetings. And here is the Southeast Plant New Headworks Facility Project. Um, as stated here, I don't want to repeat everything, but the bus and interior uh, installation have been completed. This project, as you can see, is well, um, well along in this construction um, components as well. Um, the image is, you know, you can see how much of the Headworks facility has been built out and also the artwork um, on the street can also be viewed um, today, which is very exciting for us. Um, similar, unfortunately, with biosolids because of the uh, market conditions and then also because we also experience um, limitations and issues with shutdowns in the major storms in 2022, uh, we are also you know, taking a closer look at what are the forecast cost and completion for this project, which we'll be reporting to the commission in the future meetings. And that's it for, the, for my report on the Q1. I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Comments, um, Ms. Tam? Yes, Commissioner Ajami. Thank you for that presentation. Um, I'm gonna bring this up in the next item as well uh, when we are talking about the contracts, but uh, you know, I think considering, I understand COVID was an issue and we are having all these climate emergencies that are happening that are causing a lot of issues when we are building some of our uh, projects or uh, developing them. I, and I wonder if 
this sort of uh, leads, uh, sort of lend itself to looking to performance-based contracts that are much more focused on, you know, uh, making sure everybody takes the same risk. We are trying to kind of make sure that the contractors line up their work in a way that they can meet the performance as expected from their project or finish on time. Um, and then also we are obviously obligated to make sure we pay on time and uh, you know have all the right set of tools in place when it comes to these contracts. So uh, you know they're becoming very popular, especially in the water sector and um, a uh, number of water utilities are um, using them as a way of uh, future contracts that are uh, signing. So, I, And I think it's about time for us to be a little bit more focused on that as well. Thank you for your comment, Commissioner. Commissioner Stacy. Thank you for the presentation. I really just had a question about the timing. You've got a lot of projects under construction, and I saw that there were a few projects pushing out past 2030 as far as 2036, and some of them are you know, ongoing grant programs, the Ocean Beach Project, which is a really complicated project, um, and the watershed um, uh, management uh, planning project. But there was one project that I just wondered if you would mind explaining a little bit. It's the Kansas and Marin project that's, and, and, and why it's pushed out to 2036. I, I read about the project. Is it just because it's sort of low on the priority list? Um, uh, or is it a very complicated project in your view? So um, for the Kansas Marin project, um, we actually found a relatively low cost solution so the project team had was sent back to we look at the alternative analysis and i'm speaking as my former self as a senior collection system project manager so i i'm actually sharing my, my previous updates so for the kansas marine project essentially we found a relatively low cost project that is close to meeting our level of service goal so the idea is that we want to go ahead and implement that solution, which is a pretty low-cost solution first, and observe and see the performance of the system before we put in the major improvements that were originally in one of the earlier alternatives that was selected, where we hit a, a, a wall in terms of implementation because of the challenges. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we are today, is we found, like I said, a, a, a weird um, replacement work that we can do perform pretty quickly and then we want to go into the observation stage take a look at hydraulic analysis some more and then see you know with climate change and everything else how the system will behave based yeah. on that improvement before we go go and put in more money into um, uh, you know uh, that that particular project so we're hopeful to see how that will pan out uh, first great thank you yeah. I like the sound of that low cost, <laughs> looking at it again before implementing a, a the, bigger the project. The major improvements, yeah. That's great, thank you. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have a comment, seeing, unless there's another colleague um, that wants to pile in. I, I, I heard two tags in the middle of your presentation, and they were, we're gonna talk to you later about you know, future uh, cost increases, possibly for certain pieces, and, um, and, and so thank you for you know, 
you know, prompting us on that, but to pile on what the previous two commissioners mentioned, I know for sure that you guys, because in my years here, I know that, you know, looking at calendars and, and risk assessments and making sure that as much as on table is on possible before the bids go out or are accepted. At the same time, I know that there was not too long ago, there was a recent, you know, put the brakes on when all of a sudden we realized that there was going to be an incredible increase. And my colleagues and I, you know, said, hey, we want to know more about this. And I know you, we, we kind of paused that contract. So I know that I, I'm going to be, I guess I'm just going to say, I'm going to be really looking forward to whatever the elaborate, um, you know, things that you've just, you know, very quickly flagged right now in terms of moving forward about talking about cost assessment, because I know you do it. And so every time something goes off, I know what construction's like, we can talk about that forever. But to be specific on what you just flagged is, is going to be extremely important to me. So thank you. Any other um, comments from commissioners? And thank you for the report, by the way. Thank you. Um, do we need to do public comment or can we do all reports? We so, okay, so we should open up the public and Commissioners, or do we have any more comments? Okay, um, so let's open up to uh, public comment for item 5A. Um, Donna? So I want to focus on two things. Okay. I want to focus on the digesters and the biosolids, and I want to focus on the energy that it takes. And I'm asking you, commissioners, that there are very few people who are following this since the inception. Y'all may know, or may, maybe y'all don't know, that there are some serious issues with the digesters and the biosolids when it comes to the energy. And we need a report, the public, as to how are you going to get the energy to fulfill the obligations. Some uh, six or seven Mondays, Monday, it was a in, in the morning around maybe nine o'clock, there's a total blackout in the Bayview and the Portola. And you all know why. If you don't know why, you should consult your people and then consult PG&E and be very transparent with the public. So, we did have a manager here, Karen Kubik, and she did a wonderful job. And one of the things that she did was, she always had her reports on time. Ever since Karen Kubik has left us, we have no reports. The public is kept in the dark. So when somebody comes here and gives a presentation in very general in nature, it's like you're saying something, but you're saying nothing because the public wants accountability and transparency. And it's not that we don't trust your commissioners, but you all have to do due diligence because you all are commissioners. Otherwise, if it's too hot in the kitchen, you know what you can do. Thank you very much. Thank you. There... More folks for public comment. Okay, seeing none, um, let's go to item B in the general manager report. Before we go, can I uh, make a comment right now? Please. Thank you. Uh, I think this whole um, energy use of the uh, biosolid uh, facility we have down there is, is a major issue. I did bring it up and we were visiting it last 
year at some point, I can't remember, sorry, the months sort of blend into each other sometimes. Um, <coughs> there are some opportunities within that facility to generate energy, um, you know, there are op options for uh, potentially harnessing some of the, you know, in conduit, uh, doing some in conduit hydro, trying to uh, use some of the pressure pressure that's being built up to use, um, uh, to generate energy. Um, when I was visiting Denmark, they also do some other work with their biosolid to generate energy and then use that energy to operate their system. So, um, I know we are sort of uh, almost almost done with that project or getting there, but some of these solutions are not uh, invasive and potentially can be done without necessarily needing to do a major redesign. Um, and I think we should definitely take advantage of it because uh, it's important for us to be able to run these uh, systems in a very efficient way. Okay, thank you. Any other comments um, from colleagues? Okay, let's go to item B. Flynn. Performance and delivery methods um, this time, which will be Stephen Robinson. Afternoon, President Paulson and Commissioners. Stephen Robinson, Assistant General Manager for Infrastructure. Um, in infrastructure, we're responsible for capital delivery, so it's good to hear a little conversation about that already. Um, and as we look internally at how we're doing, um, we wanted to take a little temperature check on the performance of our delivery and how we deliver the projects. So we come to the Commission when there are changes, some of which you've had some early warning of today, um, and sometimes that's when things don't go as well as they could or should, and sometimes it's when things go, go well. Um, but we've looked at that from a subjective approach initially, um, asking teams what the primary reasons are why projects go well or perhaps why they don't go well. Um, but we wanted to take a more objective, objective kind of metric approach to looking at this, and we're doing that through construction contracts themselves. So not the projects, but the actual construction element. So we're going to focus this presentation on the construction phase alone. So this is a summary of the contract tools that we have available under Chapter 6. The first is traditional design bid build that we're well familiar with. The others underneath that then below can be considered what we've called alternative delivery. There's a movement to say that what chapter six, uh, when it was written, these were called alternatives because they were alternatives to design, bid, build. But now that's not necessarily the case. There's a changing uh, rebranding in the industry to call these more collaborative project delivery or integrated project delivery. You may recall that we have a P3 getting to the energy element at Southeast. We, have, we chose to not do cogen to generate electricity, but we've gone to a public-private partnership for biogas, methane, fuel injection. Um, and that's not listed here because it's currently not a tool available for us to use. For our project to proceed, it required a special ordinance that ultimately was approved by this commission and went to the board. So we pulled contract data for our work um, back in September for the last five years. So this table summarizes um, those contracts that were completed. They're not projects or actual construction contracts that reached final completion. There are 89 of those contracts in five years. That's an average of 18 contracts per year, which in itself is a data point, a factoid, perhaps something we're celebrating that we can knock out 18 construction contracts a year. It does not include those big CMGCs that we've been talking about at Southeast, Biosolids and Headworks, because they're still ongoing. This is only looking at completed contracts. We looked at a threshold of 10% of variation for both duration and budget. 
Um, this is when we come to you as the commission for approvals when there are changes. It's considered a manageable variance within the industry, 10%. So this table here is focused on duration. The headline is that 40% of our construction contracts are completed within 10% variance. That's 10% of the original duration that was written into the contract at the time of award. You can see the contract types listed in categories on the left, then the number of contracts and the awarded amount. Our analysis then shows the number of contracts um, and the dollar amount of those that fall within 10%. So in the case of as needed, for example, at the top, there were 13 contracts that completed in this five-year period. They were worth $87 million. Um, six of those were completed within 10% of the original duration, equating to 46%. Those six contracts were worth $37 million, equating to 42% or 43 So we wanted to look at it both performance by the number of contracts, but also by the dollar value, so we put it in perspective. We made a little note at the bottom that for these as-needed and JOC contracts, the job order contracts, we do typically increase those intentionally. Um, that's an allowable increase under Chapter 6 and might skewer how we look at this data. So we presented the same data uh, graphically, and 40% here is the number that you see on the right in terms of the number of contracts. But that also means that 60% of our contracts do fall outside of that 10%. Um, that's a wide range, um, and some of those are just beyond that 10%. Some experience longer delays that we've already talked about. Note for those integrated project delivery, it shows 0% in the middle of the chart. There were only four contracts that completed in this table in the last five years, um, and likely those were some of the earliest first types of contracts that we tried to do that were called alternative or integrated project delivery. So now let's look at the same data set again from a budget perspective. These are the same number of contracts uh, you'll see on the left, 89 that we completed in five years. The headline here is that 67% or two-thirds of our contracts fell within that original 10% uh, of the original budget. Design bid build, the vast majority of our work um, is 70% within 10% variance. All three of those design builds fell within 10%, which is good. The lower numbers you see here are around those job order contracts, which we, again, intentionally typically increase. Again, the same data represented graphically, but from a budget perspective, that 67% number is on the right. The JOCs stand out here as being really low, again, because we intentionally increase those. Integrated delivery in the middle of the chart is looking good, but it is a small number, only four contracts that reached final, um, and so only a small portion of the 89 contracts in that five-year period. This is interesting, but how do we compare ourselves to industry? What's our benchmarking analysis when we think about this? How are we really doing? So I'd like to confess at this point, this is my own research that I've looked into this personally, and we could spend a lot of time looking at the availability of data and global metrics and things. There's different ways to look at this, but um, I'll have a go to show you what at least what I come up with. And I found two main sources of interest, two main sources of data that were relevant. And they were referencing back from many other agencies and stakeholders and studies all seem to keep pointing back to these two main sources. One is by uh, the management consultant McKinsey and Company, um, and that's those two you see on the left. Um, and the second is an ongoing database that's managed by Oxford University, and that those show the two on the right. It's really not easy to find something here that directly translates or is relative for us. Um, but this was the best that I could find, and very much welcome anyone else who happens to have a database that tracks our performance of contracts. So the top left um, quote is perhaps the most relevant. Um, it shows, it also uses the 10% threshold we've been talking about. And so by comparison, we were two-thirds of our contracts within 10% of the budget. This data point shows 31%. 
we are 40% of our um, projects finishing on schedule within 10%, and this data point shows 25. Again, it's, we're almost double what this industry standard is saying. It's one data point, there's probably lots of others, but I thought it was really interesting that we're showing up as being more than double what this industry standard is saying. The other quotes you see on this slide then provide a broader perspective by the number of projects coming in uh, on budget and schedule. Um, typically on the right, those vast majority of larger, those mega projects really do go over budget and schedule. So this is the part um, to pause and let that sink in. Construction projects we know, as we've already mentioned today, are challenging. Um, that is a known known. And we or I could argue that we're not perhaps initiating contracts and projects with a more realistic understanding of what it will take to deliver them, budget and schedule, at their inception. And that, unfortunately, is commonplace in our industry. Perhaps at PUC, though, we have a more realistic perspective because we are double at least what this factoid or, or um, example is showing. Or perhaps it's because we're doing the best that we can with the resources that we have, and we're actually doing really well. We are delivering. Um, so to all the staff, I want to make a point here of saying to all the staff and infrastructure and the partnership that we have with the enterprises for which we serve, thank you and well done. We're doing a lot of good work and we, you know, we want to celebrate that, that not every contract we bring to the Commission is because it's a problem. We want to be able to celebrate the vast majority of our work. The majority is going really well. So um, I also wanted to acknowledge that, that the data set is from a five-year period and during that five years we've seen some some of the most volatile market conditions and challenging contracting environment that we've seen. And we've been trying and experimenting with these other models. So let's look at what it means for diversifying our delivery methods. Uh, again, the same data set over that five-year period, remembering uh, there were 89 contracts shown in this left chart broken down by the same categories we've been talking about. It shows 76%, three-quarters of our contracts are through design, bid, build, traditional. I actually thought it would be a lot higher than this. But when you look at the as-needed and the JOC contracts, it turns out that we use those quite a lot to good effect. The chart on the right, then, is the same data of those 89 contracts that were completed, but we added in contracts that are still ongoing today. So this is now a much broader data set of more current representation of the work that we have under us at the moment. That's now 162 contracts. So look at the difference. The design bid build column is now down to 64%. There are increases in both as-needed and JOCs. There's no visible change in the integrated delivery by number of contracts, it still shows 4%, but by dollar amount, we've shot up really significantly from 29 to 34%. It means that some of our larger projects, our flagship projects that are underway are being delivered by this integrated or collaborative alternative delivery. Think Biosolids, Headworks, Treasure Island. So we're diversifying our delivery methods to make sure that we can make the most efficient use of all those tools that are in the toolbox. We, we need to be able to deliver the capital plans and that will demand that we do diversify so that we can do that. This is not only for our own benefit, but also in response to the market as it, it changes and expects something different from us. So it's about collaboration, efficiency, risk being owned by the best entity able to own it in the contract. And so just to close, a selection of some of our more and well-known integrated delivery projects. Um, all of these are at varying stages of the project lifecycle, from planning through construction and completion. We're building our capacity to do this in an organized and thoughtful way, and we're looking forward to surfacing more of these opportunities. So again, I would say a strong thank you to the infrastructure staff and our partnership with the enterprises as we work together to deliver and to make sure that these capital projects um, are successful. So with that, wanting to give you the snapshot, but very much happy to take questions and, and feedback. Or can I see some colleagues, obviously, 
um, we're going all, all going to weigh in. I want to say, first of all, thank you um, for doing this. This is just good um, to see this out in front, that there is this internal analysis going on. And do you do this after you go home during when you're doing your day Absolutely. job? Or is, Free time. Of, Free time. or is this part of your stuff? Um, so I, I just have two comments on that before we open it up to everybody um, Commissioner speaking. One is um, it, it's great to see, you know, your sort of global analysis. You know, half of Europe is, you know, at 75 and we're at 63 and or 67, you know, that, that type of stuff. I mean, that's good to, you know, start off with those types of comparisons. Um, so one of my comments are I'm just wondering if, if there are more similar districts you know, a city or a major utility district or, or land use district or something that, that, that you've gotten into or any of your staff have gotten into looking at, that's one question. And then the second one, because um, it doesn't answer really any of the final questions, not that, you know, we need every single question, but what my brain goes to is like when you talk about why there are cost overruns, I know that you know um, contractors and estimators and folks in the department you know know what to look for because when you put out the specs, it's like you know we want to you know put a man on the moon, a woman on the moon, and it's like okay, what does that mean? Are we going to do it tomorrow? Are we going to do it 50 years from now? So I mean, I know the variables that are in there in for any type of a project, but I think it 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 would be nice at least for me and the commissioners to just kind of see so we can explain to people you know more than just you know okay you know we have something going on at the digesters we took a pause what was it you know is it technology was it you know supply chain was it you know you know 80 people died i mean whatever that that thing is it'd be nice to just kind of have you know as non-professionals you know to have that checklist as to what you go into and by the way you know what happened we, we ran out of copper, and we just can't do anything. We had to send everybody home, and there's no plumbers left. I mean, whatever it is, just some type of a checklist as to what the variables are that you know can go haywire because it's obvious that cost overruns, you know, it's always been obvious that cost overruns are, are um, you know, just a part of, of, of construction just in general infrastructure. So those are just my two comments, um, those two uh, general comments just to kick things off. Um, Commissioner Ajami. And, and unless you're, you want to have a quick answer to that right now, otherwise uh, I'm going to, that was I, a global question. I could say when I, when I started four years ago as director of the wastewater work, I did reach out to other comparable cities, um, DC Water with a strong relationship with San Diego, LA, mm -hmm. DWP, Seattle, uh, Portland, uh, agencies that we have connectivity with. Um, and there's, there's a lot of similarities in the work that we face, but for this exercise, I did look at our data and then compare kind of the global platform of performance. So it could be an exercise that we continue to research in our spare time to kind of have a look and see how we do compare directly and learn some lessons. Um, the why overruns and budget challenges, why we face those, um, I'm referring back to the biosolids project when we did have to acknowledge mm -hmm. that and share, and we put that data and information into a pie chart and we tried to break it up. We tried to explain what were the actual reasons. And I would imagine as we go forward now for something like biosolids with an amendment again, we will have to go to that level of detail to explain. Right, I'm sure. Commissioner Jamie. I thank actually you. thought, um, based on the conversations we had like two years ago, um, you guys were tracking why there were delays and project overruns. That was part of the data gathering process that you were going through. And I think we had the presentation about six months ago when Katie uh, touched on 
that, if Correct. I recall, right? Yes, yeah, so we initiated a process, what I described at the beginning of this presentation, as a more subjective opinion right. from the project managers and the project teams about why there were challenges. Right. Um, and we've been tracking that ever since. And we did that holistically at the project level. And we realized that is open to interpretation and opinion, may or may not be helpful. Now that we've been doing it for a year or so and the data set is a little bit more mature, it's not really conclusive. We were coming to the conclusion yeah. of it. We weren't really getting solid themes that we could actually act on. There are project specific or perhaps geographic or facility types that we could do something with. Um, but we weren't getting a broader theme that we could act on. So it's why we chose to pivot and look at the actual construction yeah. contracts themselves. There's a lot more granular data in the information I just showed that lets it look at types of contract or types of asset or type of facility and see where we maybe want to change our approach to contracting or do something different. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that. You, you know, this has been a huge um, uh, focus of mine since I joined the commission and it's exciting to see now that we have the data and we are doing the analysis what sort of comes up um, one thing I would say is um, I appreciate averages averages sounds really good it can make you look good or not good um, but I think um, it would be great to have um, a little bit of beyond just benchmarking against what McKinsey have done, and obviously I probably don't have detailed data on what what they gathered. We probably see just the averages, but sort of maybe going a little bit deeper and see if we can uh, benchmark ourselves against um, um, you know global utilities that are in the same stature and size as us, um, because you can imagine that uh, you know a small utility with limited staff and limited capacity might not do as well. And these averages can get pulled in so many different directions and skewed uh, in different directions. So, so I think it's important to benchmark ourselves against um, people who are similar to us. And I think I appreciate that you reached out to all those um, groups. And I'm not 100% sure many of them are doing what we have done with the data gathering. So maybe this is something we can have more Constructive, constructive conversation with um, uh, with the leadership in those utilities, uh, but I would also say it is good to look internationally because there are so many other things that are happening, and that is important sort of track. So um, I appreciate you doing that. Um, I want to go back, you know, after looking at, and and this is absolutely another thing I would say is the idea of doing this wasn't to say we are doing bad. It was just when you have the data, at least you know where you are, right? It's better to know rather than not know and just fight um, the outcomes. Um, so I think it's it's it is great that we have this data. Um, I want to go back to something that came up earlier in the public comment, and I mentioned uh, to uh, based on for the biosolid and the whole wastewater enterprise uh, capital uh, improvement project. Um, I think one thing I want to say is there's this new model of public-private partnerships. I know we are sort of getting into public-private partnerships, but there's this new model that's being used in the East Coast, especially in Maryland and D.C., uh, that's called community-based public-private partnerships. I think I, you and I have talked about that. Um, it's very much focused on when you bring a private entity that comes into your community to work on a project, they have to meet certain percentage of um, local hires, like 
they can't just like bring people in, do the project, and then take them out. They need to kind of bring that business into a local community. And I think it has shown that it improves the quality of life for um, for the locals, and also it sort of uh, create more trust to the pro- uh, uh, you know in the project, creates more better. Um, relationship with the utility that's doing the project in addition to the company and also it is good for the companies if they come in not beyond just having a headquarter here to be able to kind of use the workforce in the local area too. Um, the second one is the whole, uh, you know, again you and I have had this conversation about performance-based uh, contracting. Um, I know it's not applicable to every project um, but it is important considering um, the volatility of the market and how we are dealing with so many environmental and social issues, uh, which we have observed in the past, and we probably are not, it's, they're, they're not going to stop now, um, to make sure that everybody accounts for the risks that are taking for the project, and we are not always on the hook for the, sh- uh, for the things that happen. Even sometimes for the mistakes that the contractors make, it's not just you know, just the social and environmental issues. Sometimes the contractors don't feel accountable um, for the project that they have put in place. So um, so trying to kind of see how we can uh, keep people accountable would be very important as, uh, as we are working on these um, projects and making sure they can deliver. Um, and I know we are kind of trying to get into this public-private partnership in a more formal way, so it's important to think about how we can reduce risk uh, on, you know, try to manage the risk and who takes on the risk and who takes on the benefits of these projects and these contracting models and procurement processes. Thank you. Commissioner Maxwell. Thank you. So what do you want us to take away from this research? And what, or was there any unexpected um, outcome? Something that you said, oh, wow, this is really something. Thank you. Um, I think, yes, the, uh, the motivation was to understand, as Commissioner Jami has said, what are we doing? How is it doing? Get, put some data and some facts on the table. So I think a takeaway for the Commission and for the staff is the level of success that we're at at the moment. Um, you know, if I was to say two-thirds of our contracts are within 10% of budget, that's a statement. We could conclude that's good or bad or indifferent, but relative to some market research, it's actually pretty good. So it's, it's with that, I extend that appreciation and thanks to the teams and doing the work, the unsung heroes that are not here in front of you because there's a, an amendment needed or a challenge or something that we have to report out publicly. So it's a thank you and an expression to them. Um, it helps, I think, for the Commission to understand the direction that we're moving in and that when we look at performance-based contracting, Treasure Island, O'Shaughnessy Dam, some power projects, we are doing that now. And because that's new and different, we're learning some lessons. And so during that process, I think it's helpful for the Commission and the public and stakeholders to appreciate we might not necessarily get it right the first time, but the intent is to move in that direction so that we have all the tools in the toolbox so that we can respond to how the market changes and how we can be the most effective in sharing risk and understanding the priorities of how we deliver our work. So um, hopefully that answers your question, then, but I could probably well, say a lot more. the other was what was, was there an unexpected? Thank you. I, I, I noted somewhere in the presentation, I was surprised about the amount of work that is classified as traditional design bid build that we're already doing. I thought it would be significantly higher, but when we add in job order contracts and as needed, they're different vehicles that we can use. Um, our, uh, the proportion of our work as traditional design build was significantly lower than I thought. Again, not necessarily a good or bad thing. There are tools available to us. 
Um, mm -hmm. But I think the desire to move towards this integrated delivery model is not a one-size-fits-all for everything. But certainly the water industry has definitely moved towards performance-based contracting. And for us, we need to consider the uniqueness of San Francisco and our market and what we do and find a place of equilibrium that's good for us. Um, I could argue we've got some work to do, um, and I think we're on the right track. Well, if there is going to be, um, and, and I'm really happy to hear, to, to have this report. I think it is good for us to know where we are. But if you were going to do one thing, if you were going to change something, um, if you felt that something could make a difference, what would that be? That, I mean, for us to be, because we're doing well, but we could certainly, there's always room for improvement. So what would that improvement look like? I have lots of ideas, but I'll say uh, I'm glad consider that. appropriate contract delivery strategy early in the project life cycle. Instead of waiting to a point, and I'm not saying that we have done this, but again, industry might say, uh, we need to do something different because we're late or we think it'll be different. So let's, let's go to design build because that'll be faster somehow. If we think it'll be faster, cheaper, or better, pick one because you can't always get all three of those things. So the idea of thinking really carefully about contracting strategy early in the process and giving us enough runway to imagine the outcome by whatever method we choose will help us be more successful. The reports then the directors will present on our performance and how we're meeting schedule and budget will, that's the end game, but for us to pick the right method in the first place will be helpful. Can you give me a, a, an example of what that would look like? Sure. Um, in our project delivery, we look at planning, then we move into design, then we move into construction. But that in itself is a traditional design bid build model. So when we do capital planning, for which we'll be coming back to the commission in January with our reports and look at the capital plans, at the capital planning stage, it's premature because we're defining a project need to start to select a delivery model. But as we move into our planning, we go through a needs assessment phase, figure out the need of the project, the issue we're trying to solve. Then we look at alternatives um, to see how we solve that need. And then we de develop a concept, conceptual design, typically 10%. So somewhere early before the alternative is even selected, we should be thinking about it. And as we select the alternative, I would propose that we're selecting the delivery of contracting as well at the same time around that space instead of once we're in design and then deciding how we would do it. It's something to consider for some of our larger projects, um, the variety of work we do, being careful about how we pick the contracting strategy. That has much more ramification of long-term impacts around workforce and how we partner with the community and how we do the job and um, what the ultimate outcome would be. Yeah, and it's expensive to change in the middle of the... Yes. You know, we've seen that. It costs mm -hmm. us millions of dollars mm -hmm. to make that change. And I think it, it lines up well with all of the effort uh, the agency has put in the last six months and the last year around capital planning, improving our process and thinking carefully about who does what and when we do it and what standards we follow, what processes, and you'll hear a lot more about that at the budget hearings in January. Thank you. And, sure. and congratulations to all of you. Commissioner Rivera. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you so much for that uh, presentation. And uh, I appreciate everything you and your team are doing. I know it's uh, challenging, especially in the Bay Area with a lot of these capital projects. But um, I have a comment, and then I also have a question. So I just wanted to comment and kind of um, underscore what Commissioner Ajami stated. Um, we really need to prioritize the community. We really need to uh, reach out to the LBEs, micro LBEs. I mean, um, to sit here and, and have um, local community members that are business owners, uh, potential city vendors, take time out of their day and come here and ask us 
will you please incorporate us into your future and your needs? I mean, that, you know, I grew up in this town, and there's nothing worse than walking by a construction site or some type of project where you know you could be a part of it, but you're not a part of it. And it's, you know, right in your neighborhood. And I, I think you pointed out some of the uh, um, advantages of that that don't end when the project ends. When you're, you know, if we have that opportunity to lift up the neighborhood, the community, it's going to impact generations. I think one of, them, one of the speakers said, it, my nephews look to me for their future. I mean, that's, that's something we can be a part of. And I just wanna make sure that we are prioritizing it. I know that these contracts are super complicated and um, just make sure that we still have that um, uh, uh, prioritization for our community, for our community members, um, whoever they may be, and make sure that we're addressing that. So that was, that was just an overall comment. And then I just wanted to ask a question. Do we incorporate liquidated damages in these um, construction contracts? And if not, why, why don't we? We do. Liquidated damages is a term, a clause that's used in, I would imagine, all, if not most, of our contracts. Um, as to its effectiveness and our complex kind of sophistication about how we use it, that's another thing to kind of think about. But yes, it's included and has, has been used. Okay, so is it effective? I mean, it sounds like it's not very effective. That would be something that I would question, want to look into a little bit more about how effective it is or can be or how much it's used. And again, a, a benchmarking exercise about how that compares to other departments in the city or other similar agencies about how we use it. It, it is one tool in the contractual toolbox to help us with performance. All right, thank you. Thank you for the presentation and the information and, and good work all around. I just uh, wanted to go back to your data on the industry standard page. If I'm reading the McKinsey data, that's from 2015, is that right? From a survey in 2015? Correct, or, that's at least the reference that I had, yes. I mean, it's have to, it has to have worsened with COVID, you, so it, You would think, but that was the surprising nature of finding relevant, time-sensitive information that was available for us to benchmark yeah. to. It's not easy, but yes. And the other um, citations, we're not, you're not sure about what their threshold was, so it, it may have been something below 10%, it may have been something above 10%. Correct. And I, I was going to ask a question um, similar to what Commissioner Maxwell asked, and that is, you know, what, what you see uh, in the future for expanding our strengths or um, f fixing what we don't do so well. But I think you've, you've answered that, and I also appreciate that you are looking at um, different ways of approaching contracts, of looking at new methods, whether it's the community-based method or the contract performance or the public-private partnerships. I think also, I assume from your outreach to other utilities, it wasn't simply for data collection, but also a conversation about what works for them and what doesn't. And I think that's a really effective way of staying on top of and you know, constantly improving and evolving our approach. And I appreciate that uh, you and the department do that uh, pretty regularly. Thank you. Um, I think that was it. Thank you. Good work. Just one last thing I wanted to say. Um, you know, 
again, the, today when I was going through all the items we have in a consent calendar, and there are a few contracts that are in there, um, I remember at some point I asked if we have done some comparison between the people we ended up giving the contracts to versus, and I mean, the lowest bidders versus the highest bidders, and where we ended up at the end of these projects. Did we end up exactly where the highest bidder had bid for the project, and we just basically delayed that payment? Um, I know this is obviously... Um, you don't know if you go to the, with the highest bidder, you end up where they, you know, where the bid is. Uh, and, you know, by the end of the project, there will be multiple unanticipated stuff that might increase the cost of the project. But it's just interesting for me because we have had this conversation on giving the project to the lowest bidder, and what does that mean, and how does that work, and is that the most effective thing that can happen? And at some point, we need to have some information on what does that really lead to? Where do we end up with going through that path? Um, so, um, and then I wanted to say, if you are reviewing these bids, I know you are not, but like when they are being reviewed, I would say at some point we have to think about who is providing us with the best design that can actually be outside the box, interesting, innovative, you know, think about the whole, uh, you know, you brought up Treasure Island, which I totally forgot. I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, trying to figure out, even if you're paying a little bit more, but pay for something that's innovative and forward-looking. Um, I'm not sure how we can bit, build that in into that project um, uh, process, but I think it is important for us to think about it because at some point we have to be able to build something that belongs to the future rather than belong to the past, right? So... Um, Something like that would be important. One last thing I would say, if we need to get that data and we need money to get that data about how industry performs, I'm sure Bloomberg's and a lot of other places are collecting that data. We should pay that money and get that data. I don't think there's, I, I doubt anybody would say, let's not pay and not get that data because we can do our analysis. Uh, as, and I will have a follow-up conversation with you because um, there was a startup that came to me. We were just talking. I met them in a meeting, and we're talking about how they're collecting all this data and then doing a lot of web scraping on news and everything to see how different projects have failed or succeeded and why that has happened. So there are people who are thinking about these things and trying to collect that information. It is the contracting. We are not the only ones who are dealing with this. A lot of other people are dealing with that too. So it would be good for us to kind of. Um, maybe build our own sort of machine of trying to get this information and crunch it and analyze it and help us to do better. So, thank you. Okay, final comments um, from me, and, and again, thank you for you know, teeing this up. It's obviously been a productive uh, conversation to to bounce off of, so thanks for, for setting this up and continuing that. Um, I just want to do a little bit of a shout out um, to um, part of the PUC team, since you're up there, out at Executive Park in particular. Um, in my um, two years or two-plus years when I um, was recruited to run the Building Trades Council, I probably spent at least one, if not two days, a week out there. 
Matter of fact, the PUC was kind of the pain in the ass for me in, in part of my day job because I had to be out there all the time. And, and I just want to acknowledge, I was out there you know, on behalf of the workers. I was out there on behalf of the community. I wasn't there even though it's called a contract center. And the contractors come in to find out what's going on and how they can bid and all the other kind of stuff and find out what the latest is. Um, this was a place where your team was out there making sure that you know, training directors and community leaders and business agents from unions and whatever um, were there. And you've got a whole team dedicated to that. And I want to um, shout that out because, you know, whether or not it's, you know, the PUC where we have these project labor agreements that ensure local hire and ensure trained workers and making sure that these um, contracts that are given out are going to be done by the community and by trained people, um, this, this is kind of the, the structure of the way San Francisco is as opposed to so many other towns. The community is engaged, whether or not it's at the airport, the port, um, you know, the uh, park and rec, public works. I mean, these departments, the community, and in particular worker organizations, when I say, say that in this town it usually means the unions besides the other community groups that are worker development stuff. And this department is you know, totally embraced um, the community and, and the workers that are out there. And, and even though it's called a contract center, there's a lot of hiring and lots of stuff. Your staff is out there saying, you gotta hire from the community and we have to, you know, and you have to make sure that you pay right and what have you. So I, I just wanna, you know, since we're talking about, you know, performance and whatever, I, just, I wanna acknowledge um, what does happen out at, uh, at, the, at the, yes, it's not a gated community, they got a big free parking lot, but there's a, you know, kind of a ugly structure that, you know, some people, you know, do their work out of out there, so anyway. Thanks for your report and um, any, other call any other comments from colleagues? Okay, well thank you. Um, I guess we should open this up now to public comment. Donna? Yeah, any members of the public present to provide comment on item 5B? See none. Okay, let's go to um, item C, Mr. Flynn. That concludes the general manager's report. Okay, so that being said, why don't we go to the next item? Okay, next item is item six, the consent calendar. Okay, do we have any questions um, or um, any items that need to be discussed and or pulled? With questions being questions doesn't necessarily mean you pull anything. Um, I see uh, Commissioner Ajami. Or did I not take you off? Are you, yes. No, that was, that uh, was yes, okay. comment, thank you. Um, I actually have a comment on 6B. Um, I was wondering if somebody can speak to that uh, letter, the petition letter that was uh, highlighted in the, um, in the item. Protest letter, sorry. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, this is Jimmy Leung, Regional Project Manager for Hatchery Capital Improvement Program. And the uh, protest letter you mentioned is uh, there were um, one protest letter from the second lowest bid to the lowest bidder, and it's regarding the good faith effort that um, the uh, lowest bid bidder uh, actually picked a wrong box. Of, there are three free methods to achieve the good faith effort. The lowest bidder actually achieved the good faith effort, but they picked the wrong box 
uh, they pick the second one instead of the third one. So uh, CMD actually look at the overall uh, compliance and they determined that this uh, mistake is excusable. And so that's why they reject the protest letter. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was it, thank you so much. Well, Commissioner Stacy, thank you. Thank you, thank you, so thank you so much. for that question, answer. I just had a couple of quick questions to confirm my understanding on 6D, the underwater tank reservoir. I, I note that there's a very low LBE participation and maybe that the LBE re requirement was waived on this project. And is that because of the very s sort of specific uh, nature of this work? It, it, I imagine it's hard to find uh, qualified firms to do this work other than the ones who bid on it. Is that right? Somebody can answer that. Ivy Fine, manager of the Contract Administration Bureau. Um, thank you for the question. Yes, this is a very unique contract. It's highly technical work. We work very closely with the Contract Monitoring Division to review the scope of the work and the utilization in the LBE uh, database. And the Contract Monitoring Division made a determination that uh, to waive the LBE requirement, the a uh, proposer did list an LBE for 1% of the work, but it's a nominal, you know, a relatively low. Number. Thank you. And then I had another question on 6F, the um, Fifield Cahill Trail. I just want to make sure that I understand the reason that um, we have this addition is because you wanted to be sure that there was enough budget to cover these items, and so now that you know that there's budget, we're, we're adding in the funds to the contingency, contract contingency, so that you can issue a change order. Is, am I understanding this correctly, or am I mangling it? You are. Mary Tinkin, um, PM for the Southern Skyline Boulevard Ridge Trail Extension. So yes, um, the way the agenda item is written allows us to exercise all of the alternates, about $4.3 million, and also maintain a 10% construction contingency on the base bid contract, which is about 2.5 plus the 4.3. And so it gives us um, the flexibility to maintain that 10% contingency on the t entire scope. And then allow this work as a change order, is that? Correct. That's, okay. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. That's right. it. Thanks. Okay. okay. Any other questions on the consent calendar from the commissioners? Seeing none, let's open this up to public comment. Any members of the public to provide comment on the consent calendar? But there's a lot going on. Um, so under the, I had a, a question about waiving the LBE requirement under the contracting monitoring division. 
Can someone explain that part to me? This is public comment. If you have a comment on any of the items, this oh. will be recorded for the record. Oh, sorry. Well, the comment is um, if we can get more details of why that was waived. Um, was it because you couldn't find qualified workers, qualified contractors, and how they're implementing their program in Executive Park with the Contractor Center? Um, because that center has been up and going for years, and I'm wondering why um, the LBE requirement is not being fulfilled. Um, I would like to know that. Um, and what else? The I guess that's it. I wanted to know about the contract contingency for the portrayal um, extension, but I guess I'll have to find out who to speak to um, regarding that. Thank you for your comments. Thank you. Are there any more? Um, is there any more public comment on the consent calendar? Okay, seeing none, um, can we have a motion and a second to approve the consent calendar? Sorry, can I just speak oh, comments? yes. Sorry. Yeah, hi. Sorry, I don't want to speak out of order, but I think there was a lot of questions about um, this uh, item D. And I just wanted to uh, clarify, my understanding is that this is a uh, uh, repair and uh, maintenance on some underwater inlets that are uh, impacted by sediment. Um, it, they're also related to our uh, emergency firefighting water system. So this is a very specialized contract that um, would utilize um, a vendor that has uh, scuba quali qualifications and um, would have to be uh, very technical in nature. And um, in, my, in my experience, we have had a extremely um, uh, increased amount of debris in our firefighting uh, water system. And it's come to the point where it's even damaged some of our uh, working fire engines where there's a large amount of sediment. So <laughs> this is a, a critical contract and um, I think it's just so technical that unfortunately there were not any LBEs available. It, that's my understanding. I, I'd be corrected by anyone, but um, I just wanted to clarify that for everyone and people that are listening in. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, clarification. Okay. Um, any other comments from the commissioners? Other than that, then we have a, uh, a request for a motion and second to approve the consent calendar. Move to approve. Second. Roll call, please. President Paulson? Aye. Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Jeremy? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Okay, the communications calendar has been noted. Um, let us read the next item, item eight. Item eight is items initiated by commissioners. So do we, commissioners, do we have any items that we would like to um, talk about for the future? Commissioner Maxwell. Yes, I think we have um, numbers and reports on what we've done in our, um, in, in the uh, LBE and, and our um, community benefits, uh, people working on our, um, at the, at the, what I call the big dig, but the biosolids projects. And I think I'd like to see a report on that so people could um, have a, a better understanding of really where we are and what we're doing um, as far as community benefits and community uh, <clears throat> people that are working and LBEs. 
and, and I'd like to see that. I think we can have that by February. We have the information. It just needs to be gathered up. So I'd like to see that maybe at our February, um, sometime in February, one of our meetings. Thank you, Commissioner Maxwell. Is this, is this regularly scheduled um, to, to coincide with this request by the commissioner? If not, we, that request noted. Okay. Anything else, Commissioner? No, that's okay, good. Thank great. you. Okay, thank I mean, you. Again, we have the information. We just yes. need to put it together so people can see it. Commissioner Jami. So I um, ran to uh, another appointee of the city um, recently and learned that some of the other commissions have public comments still provided to uh, through. Um, phone or uh, virtually. Um, so I was a little bit surprised because I, I thought they would, we were told that that whole thing has been shut down, so that's why we have to follow suit. So I'm wondering if somebody can look into this, and if that's a possibility, I would really hate for us to shut the public out from these meetings um, if they can join us virtually. Um, so can we, can we look maybe, into that, maybe, please? Maybe um, we can have a summary of where we're at, the position that we are in right now, if, uh, if either Mr. Flynn or, or our legal counsel can answer that right now. Otherwise, let's, let's just note that. I don't have counsel, any Counsel, should we just note that that has been a request by the commissioner? Okay. Okay, duly noted. Well, I mean, can you answer that? That's kind of what I was can you maybe summarize the fact? I think is what well, we're asking. The question whether other whether other commissions are accepting remote public comment. There may be a handful that might be. I think the question uh, but it's is very limited. We can go back. We can right. Those are those are that's information we can. Okay. I'm um, sure staff could put together. Basically, if um, I was under the impression that the city has banned uh, or has moved on from remote public comment. And I was surprised to hear that other commissions have it still. So it, I, apparently there was no sort of direct um, requirement for us to drop that either. So that's, that's what I would like to know. Okay. Thank you. Uh, oh, and, and then what we have to do to go back to it yeah. if we choose to. Thank you. And I, and I, sh I think that should include the, the timeline of when the Board of Supervisors took action and then there was a directive of the mayor, which is what we acted on or were advised to act on as a commissioner. I think so that history needs to be part of that request also. Yeah, but that's, uh, those meetings have been post all that, and they're still happening. I know it. that, but we're yeah. asking to have that timeline put together so that if we do make a decision, we know what the hell we're talking about. Okay, thank you. Any other pieces that are, um, any other pieces uh, of, discussion that the, for future discussion the commissioners would like to talk about. Okay, seeing none, um, I guess it's time uh, we should ask for the, um, for uh, closed session items to be read by Actually, the secretary. Actually, we need public comment on item eight since it was discussed. Oh, okay, so we will open that up. If you could uh, open that up to public comment for the commissioner discussion. Need public comment on item eight for the items discussed. See none. 
Seeing, Seeing none. none, Commissioner, um, Secretary, can you read the uh, closed uh, session items, please? Uh, public comment on the matters to be heard during closed session, which are item number 11, conference with legal counsel, Mason Masuda versus City and County of San Francisco, proposed settlement of a personal injury claim with the City and County of San Francisco to pay Mason Masuda $9 million in exchange for a full and final release, subject to approval by the Board of Supervisors. And item 12, conference with labor negotiator, designated representative Commissioner Sophie, Sophie Maxwell, unrepresented employee general manager, anticipated issues under negotiation compensation. So we should open up public comment on this, uh, on those two items before we go yes. into closed session. Yes, do we have any members of the public present to provide public comment on closed session? See none. Okay, so then we need a motion on whether to assert the attorney-client privilege regarding these matters. Can I have a motion? Move to assert the attorney-client privilege. I'll second. Roll call, please. President Paulson? Aye. Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Jami? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. And you have five ayes. Okay. Okay, please stand by, we'll go on to closed session. SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
So the commission is recommending that the board approve the settlement that is referenced in item 11 and no other action was taken by the commission. So now we need a motion whether or not to disclose the discussion during closed session. Um, can I get a motion not to disclose? So moved. Second. Roll call, please. President Paulson? Aye. Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Jami? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. We have five ayes. Thank you, everyone. We are now adjourned.